0: Hey guys, we're here with a, I guess, kind of a special episode of the So We Speak podcast. This is one that uh, when we made the shift from the Patreon to uh, just the website and, and the nonprofit, we lost the ability just to talk about what we've been reading. And uh, in some ways, this is our opportunity to catch up uh, because we're in two places. We don't get to talk about it as much, but uh, we're going to talk about it live for everybody to hear what we've been reading. Uh, This is probably where I get most of my good book suggestions. Is from listening to you. Well, and vice versa. I mean, I can't tell you how many books. When you were in
1: school, you were so interesting. You were a great little kid, Cole. But the older you got, the more interesting you got. And when <laughs> you were in, when you were doing your masters and your PhD work, you would tell me all these books you're reading, and I got I got to get a, a secondhand education by reading about a third of them. And uh, so I think everybody on this podcast enjoys knowing what you are reading. And in fact, I've been asked more than once, Cole, usually at the beginning of the year, you would put, or the end of a year, you'd say, these are my best reads of the past year. That mm-hmm. blog post was one of the most popular we did on So We Speak, and I think it needs to come back at the end of
0: 2019. Yeah, I did get a lot of texts when I when I released that late this year. You know, I, I look forward to getting to write that, and I always look for lists like that uh, of the people that I follow like I think probably you and I both follow Moeller uh-huh. pretty closely and every year he it seems like it's get, it gets later and later in the year but uh, every year he does release a summer reading list mm-hmm. and the, the, the beef I would have with that is probably a similar beef that people have with our lists is it's the same stuff every year. It's whatever's been written in the last 18 months on uh, American history and presidents. But, but I will say I read the book The Presidents, which is put out by several editors, and I think it was funded by C-SPAN. Hmm. Uh, but it, it, it compiles all these interviews of The Presidents, and that one was on Mueller's list this year, and it was really, really good. I mean, he has great taste, uh, but uh, you kind of know what you're going to get with his list, and I think probably people know what they're gonna get from our list as well, but maybe we're gonna surprise some people this time. So, uh, let's just, uh, what, what's some of the best stuff you've read lately?
1: Well, uh, Surprise Your Best Life Now by Joel Osteen. No, <laughs> <laughs> I just threw that in for surprise. Uh, I, I don't know that you will be surprised, but let me add one thing before I jump into my first book. is. I never expect to read everything on someone's list. If I get one or two things that interest me, I think that is a gold mine. So I, I suspect For that sure. every now and then somebody will hear something that we've read and, and enjoy it. But uh, certainly don't expect you to like everything. Okay, one is uh, a book that maybe I'm the only guy in the world interested in this. But I think I told you this uh, that my wife bought uh, an ancestry.com special deal. She got a two for the price of one. And it's just one of those simple little things that you send in and it tells you you're X percent Irish and X percent, you know, Swedish, etc. Well, it came back, shocked me. I am 1% European Jewish. And so in uh-huh. in getting in touch with my Jewish roots, which I'm now uh, proceeding to do, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, I read a fascinating biography, which In all seriousness, this has been of interest to me. I have really enjoyed reading the works of great rabbis over the past 2,000 years. Well, one of the modern rabbis, he just died at the end of the 20th century. His name was Menachem Schneerson. He's called the Rebbe. And he is the leader of a very large group of Orthodox Jews. One of my other favorite rabbis who is still alive, his name is Aiden Steinsaltz. Just brilliant. Not, and I don't mean brilliant religiously. They're trained in physics and mathematics and that sort of thing. Aiden Steinsaltz, maybe the greatest living rabbi, in my personal opinion, Orthodox rabbi, wrote a biography of uh, Menachem Schneerson and everything he did from uh, World War II Germany to building this worldwide movement of Jews who are reaching out to other Jews. And uh, just the way he did it and the techniques he used, uh, it was just very interesting to me. So this Mm. is not one that will appeal to a lot of people, but reading the depth of the writings of some of these rabbis... Puts a historical illustration on the New Testament to me.
0: Yeah, you really, you really took that to heart. And, uh, <laughs> that ancestry, uh, you're really going with that. Yeah. Uh, a, a book that I read a couple of weeks ago is called "Spirit and Sacrament." It's by Andrew Wilson, who's a, he's a great blogger, good writer. He's a British pastor theologian. Um, the book is basically about how. As Christians, how we reconcile the traditions of sacramental or, or uh, what we would call Eucharistic theology on the one hand, uh, which would mean the priority of things like communion and baptism. When we say the word Eucharistic or, or uh, sacramental theology, we often think of Eastern Orthodox, Catholic. But the things that those traditions have right about the importance of communion and baptism and uh, uh, liturgy, etc., then on the other side the gifts of the spirit the charismatic movements the experiential trends in christianity that are really big right now what should we do with both of those both of them have important things and so he he presents what he calls uh, you you what does he call it eucharistic theology huh. And eucharismatic theology, maybe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. But basically, that we view our experience and our traditions as being able to coincide in our churches. So it was a it was an interesting take. I'm not a hundred percent sure anybody could actually do what he writes about in there, but I think the principles of it are really interesting. Um, we we obviously understand how important liturgy is. We also understand how important following the lead of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives is. And and we try and build a church community that reflects the best of both worlds.
1: That's interesting, Cole, because we do tend to fall into seeing those as uh, really opposites. One is the liturgy, which we read sometimes. I mean, we hear as structure, form without content at its very worst. And on the other side, we think Holy Spirit, charismatic uh, content without form at its very worst. It's really interesting to see someone bring that back to its rightful place, and that is bring those two things together. This, this sounds like a very interesting read. And it's short. It's, it's like 130 pages, so it's, it's a good one. Speaking of short... Uh, This wasn't on my list, but this is a book you turned me on to that also talks a little bit about things like the Eucharist and so forth is Peter Lightheart wrote a very small book called The Theopolitan Vision. And you read Mm -hmm. it, told me about it, and now a number of my friends have read it, and it maybe deserves a mention here in that... Uh, it's basically a book about ecclesiology. You know, what is the function of the church? But in doing it, he also talks a lot about these liturgical elements and how important they are. Would you maybe summarize that briefly? Because I think that's a book a lot
0: of people would like to read. Yeah, that's one of the better books I've read in the last, probably in the last year. That, that'll that show up on the end of the year list for sure. It's uh, It's a book about church and it's it's lightheart his his group is called the Theopolis Institute and it's a primer on how they see the church and so it has chapters on what the church is, what baptism is, what communion is, uh, what the bible is and how it functions. It talks about what our role is in the church, what are the things that are expected of us. Really good book. Now we disagree with Lightheart on infant baptism, but uh, don't believe that that's a position outside of Orthodox Christianity. Right. So while I wouldn't agree with him from the Bible on that, I think you can be a Christian and believe that. Uh, but it's a it's a really fantastic book. If you're if you're looking for a book that goes a little bit deeper into the theology of being a part of a church and what the church really is, that is a book that you will love. And again, very short, very readable, yeah, pretty easy book. Well, staying on my
1: trend, because uh, three of my four books here are basically biographies of one kind or another, is I reread a book called The Churchill Factor by Boris Johnson. And the reason I reread it is in honor of Boris Johnson becoming the prime minister of the United Kingdom. Yeah. He is a great writer. And I know you've read other writings of his. He was a journalist, uh, wrote uh articles before this, but he is an admirer of Churchill. And his book, it's it's very short, but it kind of gives you a different perspective, uh, not a disagreeable perspective, but a different perspective than many of the biographies of Churchill. So I reread that. I know you've also read it. What would you say about that?
0: Yeah, I love that book. It's really different than a regular Churchill biography. The way that Boris Johnson's mind works is really interesting. So he takes. For example, he makes a case for Churchill's influence, uh, basically takes all of the bad things that uh, he's attributed to have done. So the the Dardanelles, the Gallipoli disaster, Mm -hmm. several other things when he switches parties. And he says, how much of this was really Churchill and how much of this any other person would have done just as poorly and probably worse? So he puts him on trial. And then he exonerates him, basically. That's what he does for one of the chapters. And um, he talks about the impact that Churchill made on history. How would history be different if Churchill hadn't lived? So I wouldn't say it's the best first entree into Churchill, but if you are interested, it's one of the better books and more readable. But yeah, I had I had a similar impulse when when it was looking likely that Boris Johnson was going to be, The Prime Minister. I went back and read a few of his articles and things. Some of them are behind a paywall at the Telegraph, which is unfortunate. But uh, he also has several collections. One of them is called "Have I Got Views for You." (laughs) Yeah. And he has a history of the city of London. Uh, There's a great debate you can see on online on YouTube between him and Mary Beard over which is better, the Greek Empire or the Roman Empire. And uh, while I don't think many people will probably find that topic just enthralling. It just shows you how widely educated and eloquent he is. Uh, and then there were tons of great profiles of him uh, before mm-hmm. uh, the elections. I think probably the most comprehensive one was at Quillet, which I was a little surprised they had one on, one on him, but uh-huh. it's called Cometh the Man, Cometh the Hour uh, yeah. by a guy named Toby Young. Yeah, I read that. That was good. And uh, several other good ones. But yeah, I, I you know, Boris Johnson is, is compared to Trump in a lot of ways. They're really different, but they're both populists. He's interesting. He, he uh, is a pretty radical guy. He ran basically saying, we're leaving the European Union, and uh, we don't care what happens. If we have to leave with no deal, that's fine. And when he took office, he fired the entire cabinet <laughs> uh, overnight. Unprecedented. Yeah. I'm a, well, maybe it's happened, but it hadn't happened in a very long time. Well, it's unprecedented when the same party stayed in power too. Right. So he, he it's not like they went from yeah. they're Republican to Democrat. It was another Republican or another Democrat coming in and firing the entire cabinet yeah. and bringing back people that had quit the previous cabinet. I mean, it's 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 highly entertaining drama going on in British politics right now, but uh, so far it seems like he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, On that same topic, I I read a book, uh, always reading a Churchill book at some point, uh, in some way, and read a book called How Churchill Waged War by Alan Packwood. That was excellent. He's the director of the Churchill Archives. And the thing I really liked about this book is it reminded me, in some ways, of the book Decision Points, if you've read that book about George W. Bush. I have. It's also very good. So in both cases, what they do is they take Decisions that these leaders have made, and they go back and get all the information that they knew at the time, and then walk you through how they made that decision, what they knew, what they didn't know, the implications. Which I feel like a lot of biographies miss the boat on this topic. They tell you a lot about the person, but they don't actually give you much insight into why the person did what they did, why they made the key decisions again good biographies do this but a lot of biographies don't and when you're reading about somebody's life you want to learn from what they did and, and the best way to do that is to get inside their mind see how they made decisions and uh, this book was phenomenal they take 10 decisions that Churchill made and they and Packwood talks through why he did it uh, sometimes the implications weren't good but what he did to react to that and uh, I found it I found it
1: to be a very good book. Uh, I yeah I agree. I think it's it's everything you said it was. and But you have to be a fan of Churchill or that period of history to want that detail. But I like that kind of book. That's why I like Decision Points by George Bush was it got you inside the thinking. It's more than the event. It's if you knew what they knew, what process would you go through to make this decision? And I thought mm-hmm. that was really good. Well, keeping in the same line but moving away from our mutual man crush on – Winston Churchill, Mm -hmm. I read a book called Presidents of War by Michael Beschloss, B-E-S-C-H-L-O-S-S. Michael Beschloss, Presidents of War. This book does something similar, but he basically looks at the presidents of the United States through our history who were presidents during wartime. Whether it's the Civil War or the Vietnam War or the War of 1812, he goes all the way back, uh, obviously the Revolutionary War, and he looks at the presidents and how they handled being a wartime president. And it has a little bit of that, uh, how they made their decisions, but it's really putting a, a microscope on those presidents in that period of time. And if you are, uh, you like the history of war or you like uh, American politics, it's really instructive. Now, it only goes through Lyndon Johnson, uh, through the uh, Vietnam War. It is no more current than that. But even so, I think it took 10 years to write, mm-hmm. to compile this. But I thought that was a great snapshot of how American presidents have handled themselves during wartime.
0: Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I hadn't heard of that book, but that topic uh, uh, sounds fascinating. I'll, I'll mention a couple of books together. There's a big push right now in journalism, in... Uh, it's hard to describe what this is, but but there's a, there's a behavioral economic surge going on right now. So you get it in sports writing, you get it in uh, things like Michael Lewis's work, so The Big Short... Uh, the the book that I think is, is really good by him is called The Undoing Project. And it's about the rise of behavioral economics that undergirded in some ways uh, Moneyball and a Big Short. Uh-huh. And it, 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 it goes along and kind of tracks a, a general development of behavioral economics, but then it also looks at two psychologists, so uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, mm-hmm. who were pioneering this from a psychological standpoint. H- his book is great. It starts out and looks at Daryl Morey, who's the GM of the Houston Rockets, uh-huh. and talks about how he had read some of the work from these guys. One of, one of the most famous books would be Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm. That's um, Kahneman's last work and kind of a magnum opus of his on a popular level. Uh, But I think Lewis's writing is great. He had a podcast about referees this year as well that was really interesting. Uh, But the Undoing Project by him. And then in a completely different area, David Epstein has a book called Range. And the, the subtitle of the book is Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. And the premise of the book is... In our society, especially in a tech sector, it seems like people who are specialists have the upper hand in uh, getting the best jobs, making the most money, changing the world. somewhat It's somewhat of a critique of the work of somebody like Cal Newport, who is talking about if if work is getting more specialized, then the best thing you can do, is be really, really quick at adapting to complex processes, being able to do deep work, uh, or his other book, So so Good They Can't Ignore You, is to pick up processes and be able to execute them at a faster rate than other people. Well, that that's basically what specialists do. And Epstein's argument is, but actually at the top of organizations, the people that are making decisions are the ones who are generalists, who know how to work with specialists, who know how to jump tracks. They know how to apply what they know to a lot of different things. Those are the ones that are making the lasting changes. So those two books are in the same genre, different topics, but but both really good. You know, you told me about the second, both of those do sound
1: quite good. And the second one about the idea about the generalist resonated with me. There's another article you shared with me a while back, and you could talk a little more about it. But basically, it was looking at uh, England, and it was looking at People who had gotten a particular degree from, was it Oxford? Mm-hmm. And it was the PPE degree. It was a degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. And it was a particular mm-hmm. degree course that wasn't a specialist. I mean, you read widely in philosophy. You would read widely in politics and economics, but you didn't come out with a skill. You weren't an engineer. You weren't a psychologist. It was one of those degrees that you'd say, that sounds fine, son, but I need you to get a job, right? But they went through and traced how many politicians and social change agents in England, and I believe Boris Johnson is one of them, who had Mm -hmm. that degree. Well, that's the epitome of what you're talking about. That is a generalist degree in teaching you how to think in a generalized kind of way. And those two things together made a lot of sense to me when you told me about that book.
0: Yeah, that article I thought was fascinating. In part because it was, it's one of those articles that their goal with the article ends up being a very uh, peripheral concern by the end of reading it. So their their goal was to indict uh, English politics for being a good old boys club, which it is in some ways, but not because of what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> right. So. They talk about how many people in British politics have this one degree from Oxford. So, for example, David Cameron is another person who who has that degree. And there's dozens more who have it. But But when you get to the end of the article, you actually admire the course of training because, in a similar way to what... Epstein is arguing these people know how to apply certain gifts and skills that they have to a hundred different things, and it makes them really useful and really effective change agents in society, whether you like their politics or not, because they're on both sides. That's the interesting thing about the argument that they make is this isn't just one strain of British politics. This is all of British politics on on every political angle, um, this degree program Uh, Is in the background, and I I thought it was interesting too that combination. So you have philosophy, politics, and economics. Um, The it it really is a prelude to a career in politics. Uh, A lot of them become executives of companies. Some of them get into the financial industry. Mm -hmm. But uh, that that article was really fascinating, eye opening. Helps you understand a lot of what's going on in British politics. Uh, Speaking of American politics, uh, I went and read. I'm not done with it yet, but the first uh, third or so of David McCullough's book, Truman. Oh. And I've loved David McCullough for a long time. His his biographies are incredible, and he has several books that are mini biographies all put together. So uh, Pioneers is the most right. recent one, and uh, he he just has this incredible ability as a storyteller to bring you into a situation, to tell you about what's going on outside of just who a person is, but what made that person. But he does it in such a way that is entertaining and intriguing. He keeps you hooked um, even through a 1200 page biography of Harry Truman, which there's some irony there because One of the points that he makes throughout the book is that Harry Truman was a very unremarkable person Mm -hmm. who became president. Uh, And most unremarkable people don't have 1,200-page biographies written about them. True. But the biography itself is remarkable. And I'll tell you what's been cool for me is, obviously, being in Kansas City, I don't really know much about this area. But almost everything that happens in the first part of this book happens within 10 miles of where I live in Liberty or in Independence or down in Lee's Summit and begins with the James Gang and the pre- and post-Civil War uh, band of ruffians, Quantrills, Raiders, uh, Jesse James, Cole Younger, uh-huh. and all those guys. Uh, a lot of that's happening on the east side of Kansas City. In, in, in some ways, Truman's family is wrapped up distantly with all of that, with the Civil War, obviously. And then uh, the story of his parents Uh, living on his grandparents' farm in Independence and then later uh, obviously going on to be in the White House. It's just an interesting life. He really is an interesting, uh, just kind of uh, of salt-of-the-earth guy from western Missouri who made it to the presidency at one of the most important times in in the history of our country. Obviously, he was the one that uh, dropped the atomic bomb. Finished World War II, uh, led us into a great time of economic prosperity, uh, but started as a, as a pretty unremarkable guy. But McCullough does a great job. He's, I, anything I can get my hands on by him, I always read. Oh, he is a really good writer. The only thing
1: that, that probably is daunting to most people is his books can easily be used to press your laundry. I mean, they are huge books, mm-hmm. but they're well written. I mean, they're just big tomes, but they're very well written. Well, staying on the topic of leadership, my last book, the one I'm literally just finishing, I think I have a chapter left, is written by someone that you and I both know. And his name is Thomas Hill III. Thomas Hill, he is the uh, CEO of Kimray, which is an oil field uh, valve company, services company, here in Oklahoma City. And I know that you know Thomas and know his, his kids. And he has written a remarkable book called Recovering Leadership. Recovering yeah. Leadership. It is a book about Thomas's story, but it's also a book that I found very applicable to leaders of all kinds. It's a, it's a play on the word recovering, recovering leadership. His story is that Thomas is extremely bright, very accomplished, uh, high performer, very driven, and he speaks about as he went to the helm of the, the company, uh, president of Kim Ray, family, company, uh, but and grew it tremendously, how all the time he was doing that, he was basically an addict. And he doesn't talking so much about alcohol or drugs. It's not that kind of addiction, although the book talks about those kinds of addictions. He was talking about the idea of addiction to uh, success, addiction to achievement, finding your worth in achievement, and how leaders like that, and there are a lot of leaders like that, tend to shape the DNA of their company, the tone of their company, how they treat people. And he talks about how in his personal life, he's very open about how that crashed for him, that he walked into work one day, having achieved everything you could achieve and yet still wanting more, only to be removed from the board of directors and allowed to resign as the president of the company. So from one day to the next, he went from top of the world to literally unemployed and entered... A uh, an addiction, inpatient addiction treatment facility. and But what he really talks about here, it's not the typical story of uh, cocaine or something else bringing you down. This is a story of someone who's driven by the wrong things. I believe this is the way Thomas would say it, and he says it very well. Driven by the wrong things as a leader. And then Today, he is, again, leading that company in a very different way and leading it to success with more sustainable leadership. So the book is called Recovering mm-hmm. Leadership, and I just found it to be one of the best leadership reads that I've read in a number of years.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's one I, w- I would love to read. Of course, we know Thomas, and he is a great leader. He's a great Bible teacher, too. Um, exactly. And, uh yeah, that, that, his story is pretty incredible. I'm glad that he put it in print because I think we, we all could learn from that. And uh, so um, it's always good to have an author on here that we know yeah. and uh, somebody that uh, is accessible. that You can see that they live out what they put in their book. And a recovering leadership would be one that I would recommend for everybody to read. And I think I'm going to read that one. As well. So, hope everybody enjoyed this. Hope you got a book maybe uh, that you'd like to read or order. And uh, we'll try and do this fairly frequently a little now reading episode. But uh, we'll see you on Tuesday for our regular podcast on So We Speak. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review. Email us. Tell us what you like about it. Tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.